1: Hello, and welcome to The Political Party. This one featuring Momentum creator John Landsman, uh, who was absolutely brilliant to talk to, he has had a whole life of activism on the left not just recently, I mean just in terms of creating momentum it's phenomenal to talk to him about how you create this huge grassroots grassroots network, what was the initial ambition of it, I won't ruin any of that for you, but also John is someone who's been influential on the left for a very long time, he's very close to Tony Benn, helped run his deputy leadership, contest against Dennis Healy, we talk about that and he's somebody who would be absolutely at the centre of a Corbyn-led Labour government. He's also, he's also from an Orthodox Jewish background, so that, of course, lends a unique insight into the current problems that Labour faces with anti-Semitism. And you just get the sense that you're sat opposite uh, a very, very thoughtful individual uh, who has spent a very, very long time thinking about uh, a particular brand of left-wing politics, and therefore there's a level of expertise there that, that is obvious. Um, it 's a It really is a thrilling interview it was It was great to sit opposite John and of course, very different sort of political figure to a lot of the guests that have on um and I just think that 's always important to keep trying to get different new voices, not necessarily new as in young, although that 's always welcome, but just there are so many different types of political activist now uh, and john is somebody who is highly influential so it was a real thrill so do, i'll shut up now um as always email the show political at at gmail.com i've had some great suggestions about this twitter amnesty day and when it should be some people say it should be weekly not annually and that, that's probably correct so if you, what we do need is a catchy title so if you could come up with a catchy title for a um a weekly Twitter amnesty where we all disagree with each other still, but in a civil way. Um, I, I can't think of what, so if you could help me out, that'd be great. Um, also, tickets for my Edinburgh show are now on sale. Brexit through the gift shop. And you can get those at edfringe.com. But for now, I shall, I shall be quiet, as promised, and leave you um, with John Lansman. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the show. Hey. Hello. Yeah. Hello, is this thing on? Welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, give me a cheer if you've been here before. Yay. Oh, excellent. Give me a cheer if this is your first time. Yay. Oh, welcome, newbies. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And this is the first show since the thrilling local elections. Does <laughs> so everyone enjoy it? Uh, we'll do a quick straw poll. Give me a cheer if you voted in Labour. Yay. Give me you a cheer if you vote Conservative. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> And it's been drunk ever since by the sounds of things. <laughs> Heck of a night. Uh, give me a if you vote, Lib Dem. Hey! <laughs> Still statistically overrepresented, <laughs> I'd suggest, uh, <laughs> oh, I suggest. UKIP. R.I.P. Uh Greens.
2: Hey. Hey.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to avoid jokes about stereotypes, but the three people who voted Green sounded like they had the least energy in the room. It's <laughs> more meat in your diet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the show, one and all, uh, for a thrilling night. Uh, and a wonderful guest I've wanted to interview for a very long time. Yay! But I am, I genuinely am, I really am, Also, course uh, So we had the local elections, We also had the royal wedding, Do people enjoy that? No. No? Did anyone go? No. Well done for not going. What a well-connected crowd. I I don't mind people getting married, obviously, but it's one one of the few things that reminds me of how left-wing I am watching a royal wedding, mainly for the BBC coverage, where otherwise serious journalists are forced to commentate on something with absolutely no negative commentary whatsoever. And the Queen there with her trademark smile that the public have really warmed to over the years. Which is, you know, it's slightly weird to watch, but I don't think anyone else... I don't think any wedding of anyone else who claims money from the state would be covered in quite the same way. <laughs> he joined us in Nottingham for Fad Barry's wedding. He will proceed on his mobility scooter through the High Street where he will zigzag his way to Wetherspoons where a, a group of well wishers will always be there on gyro day but would peter out towards the end of the week. Mike can say, David Miliband's back! Yeah, that's that's about the correct response, I think, Uh, proportionally. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw his return, he was on a stage with Nick Clegg and Nicky Morgan uh, in a stage in an Indian rice factory where the organisers had clearly not checked in advance how much branding was going to be on display. I don't know if you saw the pictures, but it's Tilda rice, some of you may use it, it's great microwavable rice, and they are just stood on a fucking huge pile of rice with rice behind them, just big bags of rice all at the front of the stage. He looked like he was leading a consortium to take the place over. <laughs> he looked like he was there to announce there'd be no, no immediate redundancies. But um, the problem is with David Miliband now is that Ed Miliband is the foremost Miliband. Ed Miliband become the Miliband brother. David Miliband isn't David Miliband, he's Ed Miliband's brother, so whenever you see him speak, you just it just sounds like he's doing a really shit Ed Miliband impression.
2: <laughs>
1: Brexit is bad. And we must stop it. You say, oh mate, come on, leave I mean, it. What sort of idiot would make a living doing shit Ed Miliband impression?
2: <laughs>
1: There's only room for one of us in this market, mate. And I love Indian rice as well, so back off that stage. Been eating too much of it recently. Uh, Boris Johnson has said, uh, you may have seen this, that uh, he wants a plane. He wants a plane. It sounds like a sort of hostage demand, doesn't it? it? sounds like a <laughs> ransom note. He, uh, he wants a plane to promote Brexit. He gave an interview the other week. He said, oh, I, don't, I don't think I don't think the British public would resent uh, uh, some sort of uh, uh, plane to promote Brexit abroad. I, I actually think it's quite a good idea that I should have a plane to fly around the world and uh, promote Brexit. I mean, it's like, I mean. I imagine a plane was one of the things he used to ask for as a child. And I was <laughs> asking the country for it. Cameron must have got him a pony, so it must be, it ticking the list off. Uh, I, in a way, I sort of wanted to get the plane, because I think it will be the most hijacked vehicle in the history of the planet. He <laughs> was also prank called by two Russian pranksters. Uh, pretending to be the Armenian Prime Minister. Now to be fair to Boris, he comes across quite well because at the start of the call they saying, Hello, I am the Armenian Prime Minister. So the guy does the make um, <laughs> out of, uh, of the adverts. He says, I am the Prime- Armenian Prime Minister. He says, I would like to praise your vision and your, your, your leadership. <laughs> so they've absolutely got him, but they're, probably, they're, they're Russian pranksters, and they're trying to get him to say stuff about Salisbury, and the guy, <coughs> Boris handles it really well too vague, because the bloke keeps trying to lead him and he goes, but the Salisbury thing, uh, do you think Russians really did it? Go, yeah, there's no doubt, I can't, I'm pretty much 100%. The but really, you really think it was Russians? And he didn't, how he didn't cotton on at that point, to the fact it was a prank call. I mean, I would just be prank calling Boris Johnson every day of the week now. It's obviously easy to get through to. By the end of the week, these civil servants are just over here and going, no, there's no Mr. Wall here. No, there's no Mrs. Wall either. What do you mean? What do you... No, there are no Walls in the house whatsoever. I... What do you mean, how does it stand up? Who are these people? Theresa May apparently having pizzas delivered at midnight, it's, uh, it's awful. Prank calls have uh, brought the government to a complete standstill. Got Ken has now resigned from the Labour Party, um, which means that he can technically rejoin, and is in an odd situation where Ken Livingstone took Ken Livingstone's anti-Semitism more seriously than Jeremy Corbyn took <laughs> Ken Livingstone's anti-Semitism. Who knows what's going to happen next? The best uh, find in political news this month, uh, and it's a late find, but one nevertheless is that uh, Labour MP Kate Ossomar plagiarised her acceptance speech at the general election from Barack Obama's acceptance speech as President of the United States. Now, (laughs) you've got to go on YouTube to find this because it is one of the funniest (coughs) mashups of a video I've ever seen. But firstly, she's plagiarised one of the most famous speeches since World War II. Like, arguably, the single most watched political speech of my lifetime. Barack Obama's acceptance speech And she does it in in Edmonton now. I've found... (laughs) That's what kind of makes it funny. I've found some of the passages, and you can watch... I'll I'll put the link up tomorrow on, on YouTube. So, Barack Obama's opening line, one of his opening lines of his inauguration speech. He says, if there's anyone out there who doubts that America is a place where all things are possible. Kate changes that, so if there's anyone out there who doubts that Edmonton is a place. Quite all things are possible, <laughs> Edmonton. Quite all things. I can't even play five a side in Edmonton. I can't get a pint after eleven. <laughs> all things are possible. My God, I actually carries on now. And her next speech, she get up and go four score and seven years ago. <laughs> That's what we say. The journey to Edmonton begins with a single step. <laughs> Go for it, I've written some more down that I can't remember. That's not what Edmonton can do for you.
2: What you can do for
1: Edmonton. People ask me, my first three priorities for a first-term Labour government. And I say, Edmonton,
2: Edmonton.
1: Oh my God. Oh, what a story. Isn't it amazing? the Tories have apparently uh, tried to do a deal with Nando's uh, to entice young members. Uh, what they wanted to do was be able to say to young conservatives if they join the party, they'd be able to get a free Nando's. Which, to be fair, it would work on me. I would vote for anyone for a free Nando's. Uh, but it hasn't worked. Um, so now they're just gonna offer them Ket.
2: Uh,
1: see how they get on. Um, There's another wonderful story in the news. Last uh, month I brought the story of a a Labour candidate who'd been deselected for abusive tweets. This time it's the term of the Tories. The chair of Beckenham Conservative uh, Association um, has been uh, defrocked for tweeting, amongst other things, that Lib Dems need exterminating. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's divided the room somewhat, sadly. Some people bang on side of the the chair of Tory um, uh, Beckenham club. Um, now he was asked to apologise, he said, I'm not going to apologise because it doesn't apply to people, it applies to a party and that's very different.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, it's nothing personal, I just want to exterminate all of you. I don't know what you're upset about. Um, no, his local Tory MP didn't exactly fully slap him down. He said, however strongly we might feel, it's not appropriate to say it. <laughs> Especially say not in public mate, like we say in private, like I agree with you. When the day comes, I'll be next to you, mate. <laughs>
2: now,
1: this is amazing. But the, the row escalate, escalated, and he, said, he put out a statement saying, why should I resign for telling the truth?
2: <laughs>
1: the Lib Dems need to be... Ex- I mean, don't die in a ditch over this one, mate. <laughs> He then had a row with a Tory colleague who um, had basically taken the wrong side in this debate and he said, you are a two-faced little shit.
2: <laughs> you claim
1: to be a Christian. What a complete farce. I mean, I don't, this guy's values. Like... What was it Jesus said? Blessed be the peacemakers. <clears throat> Unless they're Lib Dems and they want fucking shooting.
2: <laughs>
1: it's incredible. Uh, and you may have heard, this is one of many political gigs happening this month, Labour Live. At uh, the Tottenham Recreation Ground, is taking place in, uh, on the 16th of June. Uh, the, the venue holds 20,000 people uh, and apparently 1,500 tickets have been sold. Um, <laughs> Unite have bought an extra 1,000, so that's 2,500 gone. So that they just need to sell 17,500 <laughs> tickets to make the event a success. The magic numbers are headlining uh, in what can only be presumed as a, a sort of mistake. Um, <laughs> in Labour head office when they said, God, we need to shift most of these tickets. And someone we said, we're going to need magic numbers to fucking sell these, but, uh, No? Okay. Well, that won't make the podcast, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll all be edited out. Uh, but alongside the magic numbers... Um, alongside the magic numbers, you can see politicians. You can see Jeremy Corbyn live, and you can see Kate Osama uh, doing a Beatles medley that she pass off as her own. So do get down there. Uh, Well, ladies and gentlemen, as always, you've been uh, a phenomenal crowd in this first section. I cannot wait for the second section when we have uh, an interview with a fascinating individual who is a modern political heavyweight and is uh, one of the most influential people in British politics and I'm sure we'll have a wonderful time. Uh, For now, uh, it's time for a beer break. I shall be back when I get to interview someone I've wanted to interview for a very long time. But it's always true uh, and I'm sure an hour won't be enough, but we um, we shall soldier on anyway. For now, I've been Matt Ford. See you in a bit. Thank you
2: very much. Welcome back,
1: everyone. Thank you very much. You have a good break? Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, tonight's guest I'm very excited about. uh, but for, uh, Obviously, I always get excited about who I'm interviewing, and for, for with each guest, it's very specific to the, to the different things that they bring. Um, tonight's guest is undoubtedly one of the most influential people in modern British politics, almost certainly, without question, one of the most influential people on the left and in the Labour Party, created a grassroots movement that is one of the, not just the most influential, one of the most notorious movements in modern British politics, Momentum, which firecharged Jeremy Corbyn's leadership campaign and brought Labour to the brink of government in 2017, a result that I would have laughed at months before. Um, so crucial have Momentum been to the not just the, the direction of the Labour Party, the personality of it, but the relative success at the last election. It's a phenomenon that so many of us want to learn more about. Tonight's guest is someone who's been... Uh, intrinsic and linked to the left for so long. He was a close acolyte and friend of the great Tony Benn and I'm delighted that he's agreed to come and talk to us tonight. He doesn't do many interviews, so this is a real treat. Ladies and gentlemen, give a huge welcome to John Landsman. Yeah. <laughs> John, welcome. Hi. Thank you very much. Glad to see you. Right, well, John, first question, big question. Um, have you got your ticket for Labour Live yet?
3: Uh, <laughs> actually, I haven't, but I'm I'm, gonna I'm going to get
1: one. We're going. Is it is it is it one of those things that will be, will be sort of seen as a great act of folly, or was it was it worth trying to do something on the back of Glastonbury? To... Uh, I uh,
3: I think it was worth doing. Um, I think uh, you know. Let's see how it goes. It may be uh, that uh, we should have started smaller, perhaps, but uh, we'll see how it goes. I I. You know, I, uh, you know, we do big events, Momentum does big events at Labour Party Conference, we've done for the last couple of years, and they've been fantastic, so, you know, I think uh, there is a kind of real enthusiasm, you know, the sorts of uh, meetings that we've run have been, you know, different from the, the sorts of normal meetings at Labour Party Conference or, or other party conferences, where you have, you know, a row of speakers at the front, and they do all the talking, and there might be a few questions. Uh, you know we run sounds like this which are <laughs> <laughs> well uh, are there questions I didn't know oh we'll take, <laughs> take questions to the audience at the end yeah um, no no but we run really interactive things you know really kind of quite different things and uh, you know people uh, you know these hundreds of thousands of people who join the Labour Party I mean they join because they're interested in politics so they want to talk politics and so I think you know trying to do it in uh, cities uh, you know to have those kind of discussions as well as the museum I think is a good idea uh, the question is uh, how good are we at actually delivering? Have we tried to do it too quickly? Let's see. I, I, I'm looking forward to going.
1: I mean, I suppose the question is, is how good are you at booking Stormzy, really? Because if, if he'd have done it, you probably would have sold it out.
3: Uh, I think uh, I'm told that that was partly about the the lead-in time was being a bit short for some of these uh, yeah. you know, acts, and so uh, you know that's why some of them couldn't do it. But... Uh, it's Not what? my department, actually. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's all
1: your department now. You're on the NEC. You're one of the most powerful people in the Labour Party.
3: Uh, I don't know if, it, if being on the NEC feels quite like that. Um, <laughs> I, what does know, it feel like? It's one of those things you, you get there and you you, know, you you think it's important it makes all sorts of important decisions and I haven't quite worked out who it is who's taking them so far. Um, I mean, I think genuinely, uh, you know, it, if it had power, and I think it did uh, you know, 30 years ago, but I think a lot of those powers have been stripped away and uh, you know there are quite a lot of discussions which don't result in decisions and quite a lot of decisions which don't seem to be taken by the NEC. So I think it, you know, I… I it's quite I reassuring. Mean, uh, <laughs> well, it's not reassuring <laughs> if you're a, a member of it no. and, uh, you know, you've just won an election, I'm standing, you know, I'm just standing in another election now. Uh, I've only been there three months uh, and I'm, I'm in another election. Um, I think, uh, I, you know, I'd like to see good governance restored. I'd like to see, you know, if you, if you go to the trouble of electing people, you know, and we've got uh, nine places, we've got an election now with half a million people voting, you know, for, the, for these elections, uh, you might at least give them, you know, a, a, a real role, you know, after when the election's over. And I'm not sure we've quite got that yet, but, you know, we need. To, that's why we need to do more democratising of the Labour Party and... Uh, you know, so that uh, you know, it's you know, it th- the membership feels some ownership. You know, we've got half a million over half a million members. Um, you know, I think they've shown in the general election last year that uh, you know, the 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 power of having half a million people who can have millions of conversations. You know, over the garden fence with their, uh you know people at, in their place of work. Um, you know, that's a lot of conversations, and that's how you can convince a lot of people. So there are a real Uh, you know, weapon for uh, converting people. There's a lot of weapons (laughs) in those And an an inoffensive
1: Um, Half a million, that that number really is testament, not just to the popularity of Jeremy Corbyn, but of your (coughs) ability to set up an organisation that was able to harness that, that popularity. So just in terms of setting momentum up, where did the idea come from?
3: uh well, uh, we uh, we knew at the beginning of the leadership election campaign that uh, we were going to you know get you know we were going to get uh, details of all the people joining the Labour Party. we were going to be able to communicate with them and uh, so this is
1: during the 2015
3: during the 2015 leadership election and of course at that point we had no idea that Jeremy was going to win. Uh, and so what we thought we would do is we would, uh, you know, use the you know generate responses to uh, our uh, interactions with you know all of these people who joined. So at that point, in, in order to to build up our own database, so that we could communicate m- with them afterwards, so that we could engage them more in Labour Party activities, because you know we thought this was going to be a, a you know a. A long-run campaign, not a short, uh, you know, know, a marathon, not a sprint. Um, And, of course, it is really a marathon. I mean, you know, whatever the result of the next election, you know, changing the course of British politics, which is what we've set out to do, you know, electing a a, a transformative government is a very big project which is going to, you know, take more than one election. And so we have to be there for the long run.
1: But the the scope and the ambition at, at first wasn't to create Wasn't to deliver half a million members to the Labour Party. It was basically a sort of mailing list for a a handful of interested. Well, no, it wasn't to create a
3: mailing list. Mailing mailing is boring. Um, You know what we wanted to do was to get people involved in politics and to keep them involved in politics. And uh, you know, but it went much better than planned. You know, at the beginning of the campaign in 2015, we booked small halls, and uh, just like the other candidates in that election did and but they they filled up and people were you know queuing outside and we booked bigger and bigger holes and and then we started making videos about you know following the queue around around the block and then around the next block and and you know it it just grew and grew and grew who came up with the name um we had a team of people uh, you know we had we had the people who were doing our com, uh, some of uh, our know, marketing consultancy actually. It, not. it doesn't
1: sound that socialist.
2: Uh,
3: <laughs> this was a left wing market. <laughs> <laughs> um, that now does lots of work for the Labour Party. They've done work on, on other you know, Labour campaigns in the past. And so they, they gave us uh, a dozen names and we talked over them and um, we didn't agree any of them, but, but Momentum was the one we least disliked. And then we had another round, yeah. and actually we decided momentum was very good, and and I think it is actually a, a really brilliant name. It's a great it completely name. Completely captures, uh, you know, what happened in that first leadership election, and and has, and has gone on happening in subs- you know, in the second leadership election, in the general election, and I think still, you know, I mean, you know, we had people, you know, we live in 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 London, I guess most people here do, and you know, we had. You know, enormous numbers of people out on the, on the streets in London and in, some other, in, 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 a, in a number of other places around the country.
1: Uh, what, um, were the, what were the other names for momentum that got rejected?
3: Uh, there were some really terrible ones. I think the worst was actually Swarm. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God! Uh, That's quite threatening. Well, you know, I think one of the ways that these consultancies work is that if you, can't, if you can't think of the dozen that we've asked for, then you put in some bad ones to lead you to the right answer. I don't know. Uh, I, uh, I'm cynical. Uh, about them, I suppose, a bit. But anyway, they came up with... Momentum's with momentum great. And, and it is, yeah,
1: it is. So then you've got a situation where people, you've got however many people in Momentum, similar numbers to the Labour Party, who's got half a million six. Well, no, million. we haven't
3: got half a you million. Know, we've got, we've actually only got 50... Uh, f- getting on for 50,000 members. In Momentum? Uh, in Momentum. Um, so but, but we have a much bigger supporters database. But, you know, w- we want people to, in- to join the Labour Party, to yeah. engage in the Labour Party. I mean, you know, actually, at the end of the day, we're a... We're a change agent, you know. We want to turn the Labour Party into the sort of organisation which we need to win.
1: So then once they've all joined the Labour Party, what, what separate purpose does Momentum have to the Labour Party?
3: Um, our, our objectives are to sustain Jeremy in, I, uh, in his role. Clearly there are a number of people who <laughs> would rather <laughs> not... You know, there have been some uh, malcontents who haven't been so keen on keeping him in the role. So we sustain him in the role. We want to propagate uh, you know the policies and program that he, he stood he, he stood on um, we want to help win elections we want to democratize the Labour Party uh, and we want to turn it into the sort of campaigning organization the social movement that it needs to be in you know, a campaigning on issues that match people between elections not just at election time because the things that you know I've been I've been knocking on doors at elections for uh, 40 odd years I joined in 1974 and, um, you know, the two things that increasingly over the years people said to you on doorsteps were, you're all the same and we only ever see you at election time. And at the last general election, you know, the one thing you can say with absolute certainty that everybody would agree with is that there was a significant difference between the Tory party and the Labour party. There was a very clear choice. The Labour party stood with a very different, bold programme. And um, so that, you know, so we're no longer all the same. And uh, also, uh, you know, we want to be campaigning, not just election time, but on issues in between election time, di- in, in between
1: elections. But, but that's the same as the Labour Party, isn't it, really? No, no well, that's, then
3: that's what we want the Labour Party to do. So, you know, momentum is a mobiliser of people, which we would, you know, we want... To turn the Labour Party into that kind of party, it isn't set up to do that at the moment. You know, it's just now appointed community organisers, yep. which I think is great. In every Ed Miliband region.
1: started doing that. Didn't
3: he? Ed Miliband uh, agreed to back Movement for Change, which was the organisation his brother had started in the in the in the two thousand and ten leadership election, uh, and he did keep it on. I think that was part of the settlement between him and his brother, such as it was and um it was sustained for a few years but it's you know that went you know actually it, it uh, you know it it, 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 it there weren't the people on the ground you know what w- the the difference we have now is i mean we were we were 200,000 members then now we're you know getting over 600,000 so uh, and that is a massive difference and they are they are very much more in inthi- you know they come with great energy and enthusiasm
1: they do at the start
3: I well, I think I, I think into you know that nobody is uh, hyperactive all the time, <laughs> uh, um, but you know, and, and not everybody <coughs> wants to do the same things, yeah. but we do actually get a significant proportion of our uh, you know our supporters and activists out uh, or to do something. You know, some people don't want to go to meetings. Some people don't want to you know, you know, but, you know, but people know are prepared to run street stalls, they're prepared to take petitions around they're prepared to you know to come to demonstrations they're prepared to uh, knock on doors they're prepared to help with training and organising events you know so uh, you can engage differently I- if you talk to your members and uh, find out what it is that turns them into politics then you get them to do you uh, you ask them to do the things that you already know from that conversation that they're interested in
1: but just in terms of momentum and what, it, you know, what its future is, because Corbyn's not going to be around forever. If, if Corbyn, say, resigned or lost another election or whatever, would momentum ever be involved in saying, Jeremy, it's time to go, let's have John McDonnell instead or
3: anything like that? Uh, I, think, I think we want Jeremy to be there as long as he's prepared to be there. Um, I think uh, you know, we may well uh, decide to buck up. You know, there'll be an election. And I don't know. We may well decide to back a, a particular candidate and campaign for them. Yes, that's a possibility.
1: So what's the what are the links? Because a lot of people say, oh, this is the new militant. You know, this is entry and, something. and obviously it's very different in in constitution. It's very different in style. But there, there's at least some sort of, if if only on a sort of homeopathic level, <laughs> an echo from that era, isn't it? It's, it's a it's a. I was told
3: last well, week that a hard left was majority. When we started out and we didn't think Germany was, win, was winning, you know, I think, if anything, we thought of it not as a new militant, but as a new progress, um, you know, which was the Blair... Will run, you follow the same actions?
1: trajectory as the question?
3: Uh, I sincerely hope not. <laughs> um, I don't think we will, no, because, uh, you know, actually, uh, what I think we saw in that 2015 election was that, you know, Blairism, you know, whatever that is now, uh, in the end, did not have many supporters on the ground. You know, Liz Kendall got four and a half percent. You know, she was the the one carrying the the, the mantle. You know, for pro- uh, the standard for progress and and, and for Blair. Well, you you, were, you got into
1: trouble over Liz Kendall actually because you tweeted a picture of her mocked up as a as a Tory,
3: uh, which you had to take down. Um, I yes, I think uh, <laughs> I, I think that's right. Um, I uh, mistakenly <laughs> tweeted it. You, you, you have to be very careful, and I think at that stage I wasn't being sufficiently careful with Twitter. Uh, I think uh, I've become uh, very much more careful. Uh, you know, it's very easy... I mean, I don't think I... You, know, I think it, you, you look at what people say on, on, on Twitter uh, or Facebook. Um, people seem to lose all their inhibitions. I don't think I lost anything like all my inhibitions, but, you know... One day... Uh, occasionally, <laughs> occasionally I made mistakes I hope I'm learning not, not to make those mistakes
1: I mean, t- Twitter, it, it really is you know, one of the one of the things that has defined modern politics or social media in the way in which we talk to each other, and one thing that Jeremy Cullen was very clear about when he first became the leader was that he wanted a kinder, gentler politics and that's something that I really agree with him uh, about, and that's something that this night really is sort of uh, in tune with people might say that some of his supporters have not quite still got the message that there is a there is a there is a tone sometimes to certainly not all Momentum people but there is a tone sometimes to some affiliates and, and friends that, that is quite combative and, and can be less I kind uh, and less gentle. Uh,
3: I I think uh, that there is that problem on all sides actually. Yes. I think uh, you know if you want to see some really nasty filthy comments, have a look at the comments below Guido Fawkes. Yeah. Right, um, you know it is appalling. Most of them are. Uh, you know, uh, anonymized, you know, fake names, uh, and uh, you know, there's some really ghastly stuff. You know, there's some ghastly things that, uh, particularly women, you know, like uh, uh, Diane Abbott, Luciana Berger, uh, you know, who get the most appalling, racist, misogynist, uh, you know, violent, you know, unpleasant, you know, disgusting, yeah. uh, you know, messages and tweets and stuff, and you know, that is appalling. But, you know, I think in general people are too, you know, the the, the internet is, you know, somehow uh, it's just a bit anonymous. It You know, people are prepared to, you know, hit the send button and, you know, without sufficiently thinking about it. And I think we're all perhaps guilty a bit of that, of that. but, um, you know, lots of people are, you know, Go really, go, really, go too
1: far. Yeah. Uh, anti Semitism is something that, that fascinates me as a Labour problem because when I was a member of the Labour Party, when I worked for the Labour Party, it just wasn't on the radar at all. I'd never encountered it. I'd encountered pretty much every other form of prejudice in various Labour Party meetings up and down the country. But this, this new anti Semitism problem it really is quite peculiar. Where do you think it comes from?
3: Well, um, I, I'm not convinced <laughs> it's new. Uh, I think, you know, it's been lying dormant, actually, because I think... In the know, membership? Uh, well, I, I think that it may be that it's more, you know, that, that it's more prevalent amongst newer members. I don't think there's been any, any studies really to find that out. I think, but it, I think that's possible. Uh, but I think what we're dealing with in the Labour Party is, is, not, is by and large not... Uh, hardcore anti-semites you know we there aren't you know there's not a lot of holocaust denial or blood libel or you know really uh you know the sorts of uh in the in the in the research that's done on how much anti-semitism anti-semitism and anti-semitic prejudice there is in Britain um the the figures on the number of people you know who you know the number of serious anti-semites is about 5% in the UK. That's people who have strong anti-Semitic opinions which are, which are deeply held. Yeah. Uh, that's about 5%. Uh, and, you know, actually, that's the lowest in Europe and, and possibly the lowest in the world. Um, but there is a much higher proportion of people who hold, you know, you know, one or two anti-Semitic views, right? Which could be Jews, you know, are wealthy. Or you know that you know or yeah. uh, you know Jews you know Jew, Jews are too powerful in the media. Is that what it comes to a sort of
1: left wing scepticism of elites that then is that is almost pickled and well, burst into flames? Well, first
3: of all, I think that there is anti semitic prejudice, just like there's every other sort of prejudice. You know, just like there's misogynist prejudice, prejudice, and homophobic prejudice, and other racist prejudice, in the in, in the. In, in society. You know, I mean I grew up with people, you know, in the playground, in the park, you know, using racist language. It was kind of the norm. I mean, you know, it was you you kind of almost didn't but, you know, didn't bat an eye. But you know, that but I am
2: about
3: it No, it certainly it wasn't you know, but be, but I think we have learnt to control those kind of prejudices. I mean, none of us are completely free of of unconscious bias. You know, which is why if people uh, are involved in recruit in recruitment. You send them on a course to make them aware of their unconscious bias, so it does not, so they don't allow it to affect um, you know who they who they recruit, and that's quite right. Um, and you know you don't you don't say to someone who becomes aware of that bias that they are. Uh, you know that we should be, you know, we should have zero tolerance of that bias, and they should be, you know, they should be sacked. You, you know, th- this is something you deal with by training and education, and I think a lot of what we've got in the Labour Party can be dealt with by uh, education and training, and that's why on the National Executive we're we're developing a program to, uh, you know, to, to to run education and training programs. But you know, there is, you know, it, it, but there are people who, you know, who. Uh, w- what I think is different and what is very worrying about it in the Labour Party is that whereas with those kind of un- unconscious biases, people are willing to accept that it exists in themselves and they're willing to, uh, you know, to, to, to do training in order to make themselves aware of it, se- you know, it people seem to find it harder. To accept that there they're, you know that they may exhibit some anti-semitic prejudice, that I think is the, the biggest problem So you get this problem of people denying that there is a problem at all yeah. you get people and and you know people who say it's all a, a smear campaign uh, to damage Jeremy Corbyn. And, you know, I think that's wrong. And, and actually, you know, I, I, it may be, of course, that some of the allegations come from people whose, whose intentions are malign. You know, it can't, you know, there are, you know in, in politics, are, you know, people do, after all, use things against their opponents. And so I think that does happen. But my attitude is that if someone makes an accusation which is valid, then it doesn't matter what their motivation is. You have to deal with the accusation and um you know and therefore, we have to deal with all instances of anti-semitism, but you know uh it's a problem which i think which over you know i think we've all uh increased, you know w- you know i think the the we've all been surprised by how widespread you know increasingly surprised by how widespread it is, and you know that is uh, you know it, it making that journey of accepting that a party that genuinely thought of itself as being completely anti-racist and you know anti-discrimination actually you know wasn't free of discrimination Mm -hmm. and and making that journey has been very difficult for us and it has fractured our relationship with the jewish community and that is you know a a terrible thing for the labor party and i and obviously we're we're keen to act on it as fast and quickly as possible and we haven't done that you know i think until recently i think we you know, we were acting too slowly and, and, and too indecisively. And, uh, but I think we are now putting that right.
1: But why was why that slowness there? Was it a suspicion that it was coming from a malign place that people were saying, well, this is just a way of smearing Corbyn and therefore it's not a priority?
3: Well, you know, a, a lot of the, you know, some of the people who were arguing most vociferously against, uh, you know, that, that this was a smear and, a, you know, and not real were actually Jewish members of the Labour Party who were, you know, who were, uh, you know, extremely critical of Israeli government policy. I mean, I'm extremely critical of Israeli government policy, I might say. But, um, you know, that doesn't in any way stop me opposing anti-Semitism. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it, it, you know, when you're faced with Jews, G- Jews in the Labour Party or some Jews in the Labour Party arguing that, then, um, you know, it does give that view, uh, you know, but some credence. Other Jews were saying that it is a problem. Oh, that, that's, true, they, that's
1: true. But yes, Those Jews yes. were not listened to as much as the people who agreed with the uh,
3: leadership. Well, I I don't think that's quite true. I think uh, you know I I think you know I've been involved you know on Jeremy's behalf in talking to uh, you know the mainstream Jewish organisations in the Labour Party you know since since the beginning and you know I have a very good relationship <laughs> uh, with uh, with them um, and. Uh, you know, I but I think it. You know, it. It. We underestimated the extent of the problem, and we didn't act fast enough. And this is. I mean, this is something that must
1: be so conflicting for you personally, w- w- coming from an orthodox Jewish background, being a, 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 a an ideological and personal supporter of Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. How difficult has been for you to be in, a, in an influential position uh, as a Jew, as a as a Corbynista?
3: Um. Well, look, I, uh, it, it, at times, it's been very difficult, you know, I, I, I've been, you know, attacked from both sides, you know, and, uh, you know, in the last few months, I've sometimes looked at my, you know, Facebook feed, in the, you know, I wake up in the morning and I, you know, I often look at my, you know, tw- Twitter, Facebook feeds, you know, news, emails, right, first thing in the morning. And it is just you know I, I, there have been times where I was just incredibly upset you know uh, you know I I my politics started uh, uh, you know is as a you know in my early years uh, you know before I was even in my teens actually I read about you know Jewish history about you know the history of, of persecution and, and uh, you know and hatred over centuries. And that's what got me interested in fighting injustice. And so that's where my politics started. And, you know, to see anti-Semitism in the Labour Party is extremely distressing, absolutely.
1: It's put you on a collision course with Ken. You were vocal about Ken, saying that he should, he should. well, I, I might be misquoting Gavin Williamson, but words to the effect of sort of go away <laughs> and shut up, or whatever the phrase was. A period of silence would be welcome, I think was the phrase you I certainly used. said that, yeah. Um,
2: I mean, um, I've people. been saying that
1: since about eighty <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, nine.
1: Um, how, how do you? Well, what are your think towards Ken sort of personally? Because even I, as a Blairite, obviously like he's beyond the pale now. But this period as London Mayor, actually, he was a great pragmatist and he was a he was an icon for the left. And I just feel that he's completely trashed all the good work that he did for himself now.
3: I think it's extremely sad. I mean, I think he genuinely did, uh, you know, have a, a you know a massive effect on politics in London. I think he, you know, I think uh, you know the 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 extent to which uh, London is comfortable with its multiculturalism, you know, is is you know down you know a significant amount of that is down to Ken. I think Ken, uh, at, not, not even at the you know when he was mayor, but you know back in the GL in the days of the GLC. Uh, you know he took up issues for which he was then uh, you know a a a widely attacked for taking up you know feminism and uh, you know the causes of feminism and and, you know anti-racism and homophobia you know when it was very hard to do so Uh, but I think he paved the he laid the the he he took the steps which enabled new labor in government uh, to do what it did I think Um, so it's tragic that he's got you know he's he's trashed his 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 record uh, uh. Uh, and you know I, I'm not i I take no pleasure in that mm-hmm. um, I, I think that you know he's um, uh, yeah. Got, you know, he's got, at the end of his career, he's had one of the longest careers in politics in Britain, by the way. I mean, you know, he's been a, he's been a national figure since 1981.
1: He's been wearing that cream suit for the last 20 years. Uh, oh, no, he, he used to <laughs> wear 2012, wasn't it? No, he? no, he
3: used to wear safari suits. They were really bad.
1: <laughs> uh, uh. It's inter- I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's obviously, a, it's been like being but clothes and symbolism, actually, are, 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 are important in political communities, aren't they? You know the Corbyn's hat... Um, you know, New Labour types, all of them used to have beards, and then they shaved them off. You've got a, you've got a, you've got a very impressive beard. Is that is that grown as a sign of your politics, or is it purely a fashion thing, or a personal uh,
3: thing? It's uh, actually, if you want the the honest truth. Um, I I've had uh, for a long time one of those kind of. Uh, you know, five days growth beers, which is about not really wanting to shave, Um, but it was in fact when my mum died uh, last year. It's a Jewish, uh, you know, custom to not shave Um, and uh, I, uh, you know, I decided to do that Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I... you know, when we, when we set her stone, her, her you know, memorial stone, um, you know, that's the time when, uh, you know, in, in many cases you, uh, you remove your beard. And I haven't quite decided, but uh, I've, I, I may well take it off at that point. Well,
1: it's a cool thing. I mean, I suppose you'd feel guilty for shaving it off, wouldn't
3: you, now? Uh, I quite like it. There are, there are definitely two views. I, I was also... <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I was also stitched up in the in the uh, uh, annual you know beard competition. Um, uh, you know, Jer- which Jeremy I think won. Um, and your uh, beard's
1: better than his. You've got like, proper shape and so definition on it. Uh, this is just a beard, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of equal all over. You've sort I'm, of grown it down.
3: I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go attack Jeremy for his beard. <laughs> um. What were you attacking for? Is there anything you disagree with him on? Um The hat? <laughs> uh, well I think the, I think the, there's been a little you know, Photoshop has been responsible for some of the uh, some of the hats he's shown us wearing. Um not on Newsnight, though? Uh oh I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm not so sure. Uh I There are things I disagree with Jeremy on, you know, matters of, you know, matters of policy and things, yeah, I mean, but I, I broadly support the, you know, the direction of his policy, I mean, you know, you put any two people in the room, they're going to disagree about some aspect of policy, and, you know, that's Jeremy and Jeremy too. Would you say you were to the left of him or to the right of him? Uh, No, I wouldn't. (laughs) 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 You're on top of him, below Uh, (laughs) him. I don't know where you're going with this, but I think I can
1: get embarrassing. I don't want to focus purely on people that you've fallen out with, but it was um, George Galloway, who's a uh, oh, friend of the show. Friend of the <laughs> uh, you had a spot with George Galloway he he was threatening I think you'd uh, uh, well, I don't want to get myself into the legal problem, but I think you'd suggest... Oh, I president. don't either, by the way. <laughs> but um... but he he suggested that you'd called him anti Semitic and he was he was he was gonna Fight legal action against you. Now, some sense. Twitter the first witness he would call would be Jeremy Corbyn. Yes. Uh,
3: he hadn't consulted Jeremy Corbyn about it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he was. Go- he threatened to sue me, but it, in the end, he, he said he'd uh, he said he'd attack me politically instead, which <laughs> which he may have done. I haven't noticed.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> because there's always, a, and it's true of every it's true of every point on the political compass. But at some point, factionism sets in and you know, groups end up falling out over the tiniest, often personalities or whatever it is, division is almost inevitable in politics, as perhaps mm-hmm. it is in life. How do you try and guard against that? How do you learn that lesson of history, particularly on the left? How are you sort of trying to keep, perhaps not the Labour Party together, because there are still dissenting voices in there, but how do you try and prevent that factionism creeping into something like the mental?
3: Well, first of all, I mean, differences of opinion is okay yes um you know i'm uh, you know I, I i want you know m- momentum as a pluralist organisation right you know we we actually don't take policy positions normally we, we support the broad thrust of of jeremy's you know policy direction but we don't take detailed policy issues you know very often it's not impossible and, and maybe we'll do it more in the future uh, but at the moment that's that's not what we do but you know we you know we pluralism is is beneficial and i th- you know what i want to do is is ta- is take uh, for people in momentum to take their different views into the Labour Party and debate them within its democratic structures and, you know, we'll arrive at a decision through a democratic process. And that's how I think you should resolve differences. But um, how do you prevent... You know, is well, you, a can't, you can't completely co- prevent factions. I mean, you know, where you have different views and you have a democratic process, then people will organise to advance their views. And mm. that happens within political p- parties as well as uh, between political parties, and so you know, yes, we have slates in an in, internal party elections um and by the way, there always have been and you know when Blair was leader Absolutely. um Blair ran his slates, you know yeah. well, not personally didn 't announce it, but uh, you know it was most certainly run on his behalf
1: oh it was, but um, it, and it wasn't but he was never really as successful as you are at getting people elected to internal party positions well,
3: um you know we're successful because. You know, there are quite a lot of people out there who agree with our broad approach and philosophy. And uh, you know, it's it's the ideas which have proved successful in, in in attracting people. That's the thing. You know, it's not it's not because we send out an instruction which people obey. You know, that isn't isn't how it works at all. You know, nobody is obliged to follow our advice. You know, but we we give advice and and uh you know people follow it you people know want because be not uh, i think there is you know, people do i mean the labor party has actually always been a party where people are loyal to the leadership you know uh, i, I uh oh I was well no 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 it actually it you know we you know for most of the labor party's history there have been annual elections there's been a process of annual election for the leader yeah right I, I, right up until Uh, Tony Blair stopped sending out the the, the nomination papers. Then that stopped. Um, But you know, most of the time, of course, they weren't contested. Um, Occasionally, they were contested. You know, yes, we have disagreements, but um, there is a great deal of loyalty to the leader. Really, I mean, you know, the reason that you know, there wasn't, a, you know, a, a riot well, uh, within the Labour Party about privatising the health service and, and you know, because I don't think the membership of the Labour Party ever supported privatising the health service or the Iraq war, you know, but they, you know, they, they bit their tongues, they, I mean, okay, some of them went on demonstrations against the Iraq war uh, and, you know, against, uh, you know, things that happened in their local hospital, but they still defer to Blair, you know, to the leadership, because the leadership had been elected by the party. You know, Blair was elected because, in my view, because people were, you know saw him as being an, an, an extremely able communicator, and we'd had Tory governments for a very long time when he was elected. Uh, what was it? 18 years. 30, well, no, it was 18 years by the time he was elected prime minister, but, yeah, you know... In 94. In 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 na- right. yeah, in 94, yeah, wh- whatever it was, it was uh, 15 years or something. And um, you know we were desperate to win, and that's why people supported And then afterwards, they carried on supporting him. That didn't mean say they didn't disagree with him. Um, you know, Jeremy disagreed with him quite frequently. He did, yeah. Um, but unfortunately, the only way he could, uh, you know, because we didn't in those years have a democratic process in the Labour Party, you know. So the only way, uh, you know, there wasn't even a democratic process in the in the in the cabinet. Uh, you know, there, there that was one of the uh, things that the Chilcot. Uh, uh, inquiry, you know, highlighted the lack of challenge. You know, you need to have challenge. You know, in, if you look back at Labour cabinets under Callaghan and Wilson and, 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 and their predecessors, you know, there were there were really strong arguments in you know in cabinet about you know the future direction of the party. Um, what we had under 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 Blair and Brown was was just a personality spat between Blair and Brown and their gang.
1: What you certainly had in those years was um, a lack of purges against people like Jeremy Corbyn, who was allowed to rebel half a thousand times with no real threat of deselection whatsoever. I mean, would, would ah, you tolerate. Well, would you well, tolerate what, what
3: happened? What happened? Can I just correct you? What happened was there was no victimisation of individual MPs. But there was an absolute, ruthless, central control aimed at preventing anybody like them being selected. Right, So, so they were put, in the words of, of Peter Mandelson, in a sealed tomb. That's what happened yeah. to the left. Fortunately, there was a resurrection in 2015.
1: But, there was a, the, but it was active before then, wasn't it? Because people like Diane Abbott and Ken Livingstone and John McDonnell and... Jeremy Corbyn were getting selected. Alan Simpson, but people were getting selected. There Andy were a few. Elected.
3: There were a few who slipped. Who you know, Who
1: Jeremy was, al- was allowed to rebel in a way that he probably wouldn't tolerate someone else doing now.
3: Um, but now there there is a there is increasingly a democratic process. I mean, I can assure you, people stand up at the Parliamentary Labour Party and uh, you know criticize Jeremy oh, every yes, week. Yeah. Um, the you know, there are even now, you know, even now there, are, are, you know, there are arguments within the shadow cabinet um, you know, but I, you know, I think there needs to be debate and arguments and you need to resolve them and people need to be able to have you know, really strenuous arguments and then move on that's what you need
1: but there does seem to be a, 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 an expected loyalty to the leadership or to the party line that, that is a double standard based on Particularly the behaviour of John MacDonald and, and Jeremy Corbyn, that they, were, they, they glorified their rebellions and yet they now demonise anyone who even considers it. I mean, it, it's certainly a, a slight contradiction in his behaviour as a
3: backbencher and his behaviour well, as a leader. Well, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't think, you know, there isn't the requirement now to be on message that there was under Blair. You know, under Blair. I mean, if you were off message, you got no promotion, you got no work. Um, that is not the case now. We are much more diverse in our in in the views of the people who are in the Seneca.
1: So with Chuck Ramuna and uh, Owen Smith, when Owen Smith,
3: well. Um,
1: spoke out about
3: Brexit. Th- there I- well, there is some requirement for people to. <laughs> <laughs> in, the cab- in the shadow cabinet, some, you know, to, to, ab- to yeah. abide by. Well there I is some th- remaining collective yeah. responsibility in the shadow cabinet. I
1: agree with collective responsibility. I don't there. Uh, but, I you know,
3: but actually, in the parliamentary Labour Party, you know, people are not excluded for dissent. And, uh, you know, there has been lots of, of, of dissent in voting in the House of Commons. Uh, you know, nobody has, has, has yet had the, the whip removed for that kind of dissent. They've had it removed for, for you know, more serious things. Yes. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, so I think that, the, you know, I think it's right that there should be the opportunity to debate.
0: Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
1: Let's say Corbyn becomes Prime Minister, and a lot of bookies would say that he's the, he's the favourite to be the next Prime Minister. Yeah. Will your, This journey that you've been on, propelled really by Corbyn from sort of rebel in the Labour Party to then close to the leadership and then potentially <coughs> working in Downing Street, or whatever the future brings if he becomes Prime Minister. Yeah. How does that feel for you to have, almost by accident, because your political views haven't changed, you've gone from being on the fringe of the Labour Party and sort of on the outside And then, but very close to Tony Benn obviously, but then very close to the leadership now, on the NEC, almost stood for General Secretary, Corbyn becomes Prime Minister, you're then almost certainly in Downing Street on a regular basis. Would that feel, would that in some way feel like any uh, dereliction to you of your your personality perhaps?
3: No, I... I uh, you, know, there, you know, opposition is is you know, I, I don't want to be in opposition. I've always you know uh, uh, you know I'm I'm a pragmatist. I, I want to be in government because I want to I want us to be in government because I want to change things. Uh, you know, uh, you know I'm do you fin- not feel like a
1: sellout walking up Downing Street, uh, get a government well, email address,
3: a fob? There is nothing I want more than to see Jeremy Corbyn in Downing Street. Do you think you'll do it? Absolutely, he'll do it. Yeah, we've got to get there. We've got to, you know, we've got some more work to do before we get there. But I'm absolutely sure he'll do it. Yeah. What What is that work? Who does he need to convince? What does he need to do?
2: Um.
3: Well, look, we we uh, there are a, there are a number of components to that. Um, you know, I think you know one of them, one of them is Scotland. You know, we lost Scotland. Uh, you know, the Labour Party was destroyed in Scotland. Yeah. Um, you know, there are the signs of recovery. Uh, you know, we now have uh, a leader in Richard Leonard who... Is, is English? Uh, well, he's <laughs> still the leader of the Scottish Labour Party. Um, and uh, I think he's a very good leader of the Scottish Labour
1: Party. Oh, he's very impressive, but, I mean, you do wonder about the sense of, you know, trying to trying to recover in Scotland, picking an English...
3: I, I mean, what, what I... I think it's a real tribute to the people of Scotland. That that has not been an issue. But they didn't vote for him at the last election. <laughs> he wasn't the leader oh, no, at the last
1: election.
3: but actually in spot <laughs> you know, in, in Holyrood there has not you know that has not been a massive issue. No. And I does. think that is a tribute to people of Scotland. Because mm. it shouldn't be a so no, should. of course. You know, any more? You know, we've had plenty of. I mean, okay, this is the UK, but you know, there have been plenty. You know, do people are people bothered about whether they have a a Scottish prime minister in in the UK?
2: No, no I'd rather have one. I think with Davidson's uh, great. Uh, <laughs> uh,
3: as Tories go, she's very impressive.
1: <laughs> oh well, there's a good question. though. Who are the
3: Tories that you like? <laughs> uh, well, like in which way? Um, oh, um, anyway,
2: <laughs> anyway, you like. <laughs>
1: Are
3: there anything I you to talk to? Um, I, well, I, you know, I mean, I used to work in, in Parliament. I used to work for Michael Meacher until he died, uh, which was just after uh, Jeremy was elected. And uh, yeah, I worked with lots of uh, with Tory MPs. You know, I worked with, with Zach Goldsmith, who, you know, was, was very charming, very engaging, but he did run a pretty Islamophobic campaign for the uh, for the uh, Mayor, Mayor yeah. of London, um, which was very disappointing. Um, but until then I thought he was a very nice guy um, and uh, you know I, I, the, I, I have no problem uh, talking to you know and, and uh, talking to Tories, I yeah. mean uh, my dad was a Tory actually so uh, you know I talked to him <laughs> <for many of laughs> uh, and uh, he was a good Tory, I mean as Tories go he was a good one. One um, Nation? Uh, he was very much a One Nation Tory yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, we used to have terrible political arguments, of course, and uh, it was a great great satisfaction to me that, uh, you know, my mum came round and, you know, she uh, she that she pretty much voted Labour for the rest of her life after, uh, you know... I, she'd voted Labour until the... I joined the Labour Party in 1974. My dad joined the Tory party after that, in, you know, uh, in, in an act of rebellion against the family <laughs> tradition, and... Uh, uh, he, st- he, st- he was always a, 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 a Labour voter, but my mum fairly quickly switched, the, t- switched to, to, to Labour and, and voted Labour after that. She, uh, she did vote for Thatcher in 81, but never
1: again. In 81? Sorry, in 79. In um, so Because um, that's fascinating, the upbringing, that. Um, because some people say, well, of course you're Labour. You know, you, you grew up with your mum and she was Labour uh, to me. Um, and then other people actively rebel against the politics of their parents. I mean, did you feel growing I was up a, as a, as a young a child that you were reacting against your
3: dad? I was a child of the 60s, you know. I mean, the 60s were about rebellion of all sorts. And, yes, I was a rebel, uh, you know. At home, I argued. Uh, but, but actually, argument was, uh, I mean, actually, one of the things about Jewish families is that they, you know, they, you know, you, you know three Jews in a room, or two Jews in a room, you got four opinions, you know. It's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's Talmudic disputation which does it for us. And uh, I can't say I did that much Talmudic disputation. I did a bit, uh, in, you know, around the time of my bermitzvah you know, in, in, in an Orthodox uh, Jewish community, but I haven't done a lot since. And, um, but, you know, it, we had, you know, real political arguments a- around the dinner table, and that was encouraged, well, and...
1: Uh, was it the 60s as an era, generally, that, that turned you onto politics, or do you remember individuals or moments that, that, that crystallised a you where your politics were?
3: um uh 67 actually more than 68 um uh the invasion uh, of Czechoslovakia actually uh, i remember uh, jan Palak set a student who set fire to himself and died in uh in uh, what's it called wenceslas uh, square is it um and you know that was uh, you know, uh, the assassination of uh, Jack Kennedy. I mean, you know, there were there were lots of things that year that uh, uh, Martin Luther King's uh, assassination, you know, it was, um, you know, those were things that, that mattered. I mean, the, you know, and the music I listened to back then, you know, were about opposition to the Vietnam War yeah. uh, and... Um, so all of that fed in. But you know, I'd also been reading about antisemitism and, and persecution of Jews, and you know, I, I, you know, in my history, I kind of did projects about the Dreyfus uh, affair in France, um, I, you know, and uh, other kind of you know, things that were related to persecution of Jews.
1: Because lots um, of people grew up in that era mm-hmm. and won't have been forged in the same way that you were. I mean, at school. Because you went to the Highgate School, which is a, a very, very good independent school. Um, were your other classmates as sort of tuned into radical left-wing politics as you were?
3: Some of them were, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, you know, it was, it was, these, those were the days of, you know, Oz magazine. You know, we'd sit in the back of the maths class looking at, uh, you know, Samizdat uh, 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 copies of Oz. And yeah, we were we campaigned, uh, you know, for all kinds of changes that were not welcome (coughs) to the school establishment. um, And uh, uh, you know, we 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 one thing we didn't think about actually, uh, it was the you know, it's a school that then was a boys' school and it's now a mixed school. uh, We never actually had the gumption to campaign for for um, girls to be admitted but um <laughs> I actually went and did a talk there to their politics students uh, not long the first time I'd been back since i left and uh you know it was so amazing seeing uh you know girls in these places that i you know I'd studied in and uh, i I was actually attracted going back because um i they, you know I thought that the fact that they'd allowed boys to wear skirts in the school was 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 Astonishingly progressive, it was a really reactionary school at the time. I campaigned against the Jewish quota that they had at the time. There was a Jewish, you know, so I, you know, I, I uh, uh, wasn't allowed to go to that school, um, you know, for the, um, until a certain age because of the quota. Um, I'm amazed my parents sent oh me God. there. Of course, it wasn't my choice, you know, I wouldn't send my, like, you know, I didn't send my kids to a private school, I wouldn't dream of it. Um, uh, but uh, uh, you know they did in spite of that Jewish quota, which I think was was disgraceful.
1: How do you feel about... Because obviously you've you, you got no more choice than the school that you went to than, than I have mine.
3: Yeah.
1: How hard is it being a radical lefty that went to
3: private school? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I, it's, it wasn't my choice, and that's all I can say. You know, I don't... Uh, you know, I'm not in favour of... Uh, you know, I, I sent my kids to the local comprehensive uh you know they got a very good education there they've done very well all my kids in different ways uh and um you know I I think going to a school where you're separated from the people you live you know uh, who live around you you know because you you go to a school you know several miles away is unhealthy I think going to a single sex school is unhealthy uh so there are lots of things about it that I I really hated it was it was not a happy place to be actually it was it was really quite reactionary uh, i felt and uh, i didn't like my time there you know i i uh, and, and and of course it was kind of you know there was social segregation yeah uh
2: you
3: know which is uh you know i i you know i was Know, I, I think that the type, of the schools that the, the schools that my kids went to were, uh, you know, much happier communities in that respect. Much more, uh, you know, unified. You know, they went to school with people who lived in the streets around us, and that's the way it should be.
1: Oh, absolutely, and the schools that have benefited from. Thirteen years of a Labour government investing record amounts yeah. in the of 20, 20, 20 that's it. Of course, Tony Blair's leadership. But of course, he went to private school true. as well. But, um, it, it's, does it ever? Do people ever? Does it ever come up, sort of, in banter, in on, like, on the NEC or in Labour circles? Do people ever go, oh, the private boys are here"? Uh, it,
3: yeah. it." It does get said, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> which, uh, which I think is fair enough.
1: Yeah, oh, you've got to be able to laugh at yourself, haven't you? I mean, you can't. Yeah, sort of, yeah. Uh, even if it is a sort of form of because what's odd is. Obviously it's a form of privilege, but the way you it describe is. it, doesn't feel like privilege at all.
3: Well, I think it was, it was privileged in the, in, in, the, in the resources that, yeah. that, that I had. And, uh, you know, as was you know, my university education, I, you know, I, I did have a very privileged education. And I, I uh, uh, you know, and I hope that I've used the uh, benefits of that privileged education to uh, challenge the system which produced that kind of privilege.
1: I, th- I think at the very least we could say that uh, you have absolutely done that. Um, Someone I really want to ask you about is Tony Benn, because you were, you were very, very close to him. Uh, he ran his deputy leadership campaign against Dennis Healy. And in the run-up to this, I was just refreshing my memory, and I've got Healy's autobiography at home, and I thought, I wonder if he mentions you personally in there. And I looked in the index, and he does, there's one men- mention of you, where you are only described as an unemployed 23-year-old graduate. But nevertheless, <laughs> you get a mention in Denny Seatley's autobiography, <laughs> which is a... But he's talking about the, the, which way the unions went on, the Electoral College, mm. a sort of complicated explanation of uh, assembling the Electoral College at that time, which was very different to the Electoral College that I remember. Um, what was Ben like to work... I mean, do you, would you say with or for? Uh,
3: b- both, in a way. I mean, I... Uh, he was he was he was incredibly charismatic he was incredibly uh you know it was you know he he valued you know I was I was just you know a young you know barely out of university a kid uh and uh you know he treated everybody with uh you know listened to their opinions and talked to them you know as if uh you know as if we were equals which you know we weren't obviously you know he had Uh, you know the the experience of of government of trying to you know of being radicalised in government an almost unique uh, experience Um, and uh, yeah it was great Uh, but actually uh, you know I came across Tony I came across Dennis Healy as well you know when because of course, in in the in that deputy leadership election, Dennis Healy on on uh, it was Weekend World, it was the kind of Sunday politics of the day. Well, this is the uh, I was accused of orchestrating heckling at uh, unemployment demonstrations that the yeah. Labour Party ran in, in in that year. In in uh, uh, well, one in Birmingham and one in uh, I forget where the other one was, uh, and I been there, hadn't been there. I hadn't been at either demonstration. So uh, you know, it was headline news uh you know, that day and for the next four days, um, a friend of mine sent me uh, uh, a cutting from the Bulawayo Chronicle. Uh, he was living there at the time and it was news there, so it must have been important. Um, and um, uh, but you know it, it was it, it almost immediately became clear that he'd, he'd, he'd made a big big error. Um, and he did
1: apologize.
3: He didn't apologise. The Weekend World apologised, and uh, you know we 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 threatened them with with uh, uh, libel, and uh, they m- settled out of court, which at least bought bought m- m- you know my solicitors and and me a decent lunch, so it wasn't. <laughs> um, it's supposed that these things recur, though, isn't it? But actually, things? I came across Dennis again, uh, 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 but it did it did uh, you know have an effect on the contest? I mean the. Uh, the Transport and General Workers Union, which was then the biggest union affiliated to the Labour Party, had its, uh, the TUC was starting the next day, it had its delegation meeting and uh, you know, they supported Ben, they gave support to Ben in a way that I think they might not have done if that hadn't have happened. But I, late I met uh, D- Dennis, um, he came up to campaign. Uh, in the Chesterfield Bar election when Tony was a candidate just after he just after the 83 election in which he lost his seat because right. he you know the boundary changes put him into a seat that was basically unwinnable uh, or unlikely to be won and um Dennis came up and and I was assigned as his driver for the day so we you know I spent a day campaigning with him and he uh he was a little bit nervous I think about when he first got into the car and and so but he you know he asked me know how experienced a driver and could he trust me to, to, to <laughs> drive him around and uh, but he, he you know what a great campaigner and a, and a great character he was as well actually um but tony um you know i tony was you know i i i, I knew him over over the years yeah. i saw him not that long before he died um you know we talked about the things that were then happening which actually were to do with the uh, Collins' report, which established the the voting mechanism, which went on to elect Jeremy, but of course Tony didn't have the slightest inkling that that was going to happen. And I think, uh, you know, he uh, if he suddenly rematerialised, he would be incredibly surprised but very very pleased. I mean,
1: ha- I'm sure he would. How do you think he would feel? Because there is a, a distinction, and every even if there are echoes to previous movements, like anything that is cyclical, things come back in fashion, but there are a different version of those things. Whether it's flares, or whether it's Part of politics. Um, how do you think Tony Benn would feel about not the broad policy offer, nationalisation and things like that, but things like Russia today, press TV, the anti-Semitism, the anti-Semitism problem, the stuff that goes on online? Where would Tony Benn stand?
3: That was that was Freudian, wasn't it? Where would Tony Benn
1: stand? <laughs> <a>, <laughs> <laughs> ben stand on those things? Do you think?
3: Uh, well, I, I think uh, I think he'd be, uh, you know, horrified by the anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, he. he uh, um, I, I I don't know where he would stand on. You know, would
1: you say a uh, joke Russia today for good shape. I come on, of course they poisoned the script out. I go, I, I can't be real too. Not my best impression actually, but um. uh,
3: well. He's been gone for a while, you know. <laughs> 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 yeah,
1: he's not been on TV for a while, so I haven't been able to warm up on it. But do you think, like, with the Salisbury poisoning, to most people, it's, uh, whatever the government government events, blindingly obvious that the Russians have something to do with it. Uh,
3: I... Uh, or do you disagree? I, I think that it is pretty likely, actually. Um, but uh, I... You know, I uh, more importantly, I... I you know, I was actually a critic of of the Soviet Union. You know, I, I uh, you know was uh, you know there were uh, clearly att- you know, attempts to do good things for for, for you know uh, f- there, but uh, I was deeply unhappy with uh, a lack of democracy, uh, and so I you know was quite supportive of you know, of of uh, left dissidents in uh, in a number of s- the countries in in. Uh, Eastern Europe and uh, but actually I can't you know even if you weren't a critic of the Soviet Union to think that somehow Putin inherits any of the characteristics of yeah. uh, the, the, the positive characteristics that you might think you know w- w- the Soviet Union had and, and uh, you know I think there were some um, th- it's, it's, it's remarkable I mean you know Russian oligarchs are people who ripped off the Russian state um, you, know, the, the, you know, it's a gangster economy, I, I have to say I'm not, uh, you know, I'm no fan of, uh, uh, but, uh, but on the other hand, I don't want to have a war with them, you know, I actually, you know, I'm in favour of peace. Oh, of course. Uh, uh, so, uh, I'm, you know, I have, a, I have a different view on that, but I don't know, I, I wouldn't like to speak for Tony, I don't know. But the, the,
1: there seems to be a, 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 whiff the right word around the current Labour leadership, that actually there is some sort of tie to Russia, some sort of emotional nostalgia, whatever it is, that does seem to prevent Jeremy Corbyn from being as robust, perhaps, on Putin as you've been. And and there is a sense, isn't there, or maybe a a fear amongst some of them, that if Labour win the next election, our foreign policy will look east rather than west, that we'll be more sympathetic towards Putin than we we would be, God forbid, you know, that Donald Trump gets re-elected, but nevertheless, a far more useful and close ally, even with Donald Trump, who would rather be close to America than we would to Putin, surely
3: uh well I, I i don't think that that is the case. i think uh you know we we uh you know we don't know what you know what situation we 're going to face when uh you know we come to government um you know if 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 brexit happens then you know we're going to need trading partners wherever we can get them because uh you know, uh, it, you know I think the Tories are not going to leave us in an, in an easy place at all. Uh, And uh, you know, I I think we need to you know we need to talk to Russia like we need to talk to many other countries. But that doesn't mean to say that uh, you know we we have to approve of what they do, and and we should
1: criticise. Their actions have been deplorable. I mean, it, it it does feel as if though sometimes there is great outrage over Iraq, totally understandably, less outrage over other conflicts
3: well i i might i struggle in syria to find uh you know the the you know the the good guys um you know i think there are some but they're pretty few and far between <coughs> and uh you know i think generally uh you know intervention of all you know from all quarters has has failed uh to uh, um you know to deliver uh I, i'm talking about syria yeah. um uh
1: but intervention in some places can work or
3: well you know i i had a bit of a wobble on uh, libya um and uh, the wobble was a big mistake um and that makes me more cautious uh you know i did wonder whether intervention in 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 libya was uh, a good idea and uh, it, it certainly wasn't you know uh so I I'm, you know, I don't think that uh, major powers, uh, you know, bombing places and uh, you know, inter- intervening in, in, in the ways that we intervened in, in Iraq and uh, less so in Syria, has you know, done any good at all, uh, uh, quite the opposite.
1: Well let's take some interventions now, hopefully none of them military, <laughs> uh, from the audience, um, although we can never be entirely sure. Uh, so we'll bring the uh, house lights up, if you'd like to ask John a question please indicate clearly. Um, and Jules will come round with a microphone. So yes, uh, the lady right in the middle there. Do wait for the microphone to come and let us know your name. And uh, your question for John, please. Uh,
0: hello, um, I'm I'm Sophie. I, I just wanted to go back to your point where you made about single-sex schools. Um, I know you said you're against single-sex schools, but I'm just coming from experience. I went to a single-sex school, and I don't feel I was particularly disadvantaged by going to a single-sex school. I just wanted to know, why you are against single-sex schools and just what are your prerogative and why you feel that single-sex schools offer a disadvantage to pe- people of uh, any demographic group? Uh,
3: I, I think it was really bad for me. It's based on my experience of a single-sex school. Um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, men or boys' experiences uh, are different from, from women and girls' experiences. Uh, of single sex schools but so, all uh, boys
1: schools are bad, but all girls <laughs> schools are bad
3: well no i don't I, you know clearly there is an incompatibility you know with those with with those views um i uh, you know i think that uh, even in a, uh, in a in a in a in I- with coeducation, you know there 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 could and should be a place for some uh you know gender separation uh for some things i think that that's still possible i uh, you know, uh, in my, in the case of my own kids, uh, I was very keen on uh, not sending them to single-sex schools, uh, and I think they're pleased. There's one in the audience. Um, uh, I think they're pleased. Um, I won't force them to say. That. <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, look, I'm I'm not an educationist. You know, I I, I'm, I may you know, I, I was a school governor. Uh, I of, of of mixed schools. And uh, I sent my kids to mixed schools and uh, I think, uh, you know, they've got to live in a mixed society and they should be educated in a mixed uh, school. That's okay. as far as it goes.
1: Good question. Yes, the gentleman down here. Oh, in fact, I'll take the lady over there and then the gentleman there, if that's all right. So the mic's got less trouble on the second question. Just let us know your name uh, before the questions please. Thank you very much. Hello.
0: Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, John, you mentioned earlier that one of the objectives of Momentum is to democratise the Labour Party. And I just wonder how you think that squares with the current leadership position on Brexit as compared to the membership's opinion on that? Uh,
2: I'm
3: not with uh, those guys. I, I would like to see members being able to uh, be involved in decisions that we take about all matters in the Labour Party. Uh, so I... Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, we have a conference that brings together the views of all sections of the party. I think, um, you know, the conference ought to be able to uh, be involved in, in, in our decisions. But they were prevented
1: from at the last conference?
3: No, they weren't prevented from the last conference. What happened at the last conference was... A small group. There was a ballot on uh, what was to be debated. We knew that there was going to be a debate on Brexit because there was a, an NEC statement that was coming out, so that we knew there was going to be a debate. And uh, the particular motion was uh, designed, I think, quite wrongly, was, was quite wrongly, to undermine Jeremy, uh, Jeremy's leadership, undermine the position he's taking take taken and i think that the the position he's taken which is a kind of balanced position recognizing that there was a referendum respecting the the, the outcome of that, that that referendum and wanting to be able to appeal to both leave uh, and remain voters is absolutely the right thing the tories are in government we're in opposition you know, it's their responsibility to conduct the negotiations. It's our responsibility to look at what they come back with and to oppose anything that doesn't meet, um, you know, our criteria, which, you know, are summarised in the six tests. Yeah. That, that uh, so, um, you know, I, I, I've supported the position all along. I think it's the right position for now, but at some point we will have to, uh, you know, d- we will have to make a decision about what to do with what the Tories you know where the Tories are um, and uh, what they've c- what they've come up with, and you know, I think uh, it's right that that, that that party members and affiliates should be involved in that in so that decision. It,
1: so they can be involved in the discussion as long as it doesn't feel like they're trying to undermine Jeremy. In which case, they
3: then can't. Uh,
2: <laughs> no,
3: I, yeah. I, th- look, I, the, we are not going. What the, the the you know trying to force the issue in the past in the party. When we are in opposition, not in government, doesn't make political sense, you know. And I think that I think I think they know that it doesn't make political sense. I, th- I have no problem with people arguing arguing policy positions, but you know, th- you know, we had we had we had an NEC statement. We had, uh, you know, they were trying to put a motion, you know, which which we we didn't agree with. You know, it undermined the balanced position that actually unites most of the parliamentary Labour Party.
1: Okay, there's a gentleman in the middle there. Let's uh,
3: just one over here. If you let us know your name and your question, please. Hi, I'm Barry. Uh, John, you've told us that none of us is free of unconscious bias. What unconscious biases have you noticed in Jeremy Corbyn? <laughs> um, I'm I'm not. I'm mean, totally privy to Jeremy's unconscious <laughs> uh, in the, in the, in the content of But you
1: are more than anyone else in this room, so yeah. have a guess. What
2: about his conscious biases? <laughs> uh,
3: I, think he's, I think he's pretty biased against injustice and inequality, and I think that's a pretty
2: good one. <laughs>
3: Blairites? <laughs> uh, Bit, uh, Blairites are a bit yesterday, aren't they? I mean, <laughs> um, oh, appointed, ear Blairites to the first Shadow Cabinet. Uh, I don't think uh, first album.
2: True. Sure.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, I. I uh, you know, we we've, you know, John McTurnan, who we were talking about outside, he's a member of Momentum. He's a Blairite. Um, yeah, you know,
1: we, welcome, it. we welcome, yeah. we welcome <laughs> you know, he knows what he's doing <laughs> <laughs> yes the lady over there with the long hair right okay So I'll tell you what we'll have one sentence questions it's quick questions. it's quick
0: for yeah. a change it's quick my name's Rachel uh, I really like your socks I've been enjoying those um, oh, yeah. my question is do you think the Labour Party currently has an image pro- problem and if so how should that be corrected? Is
1: that part of an image problem?
3: Uh, well, I mean, I don't know what part of the Labour Party's image uh, you're talking about. I, I, I Not mean, your if, you're socks. T- if you're certainly on <laughs> my socks, they're red. Um, i have forgotten that they were red, <laughs> but they are. Uh, look, obviously, uh, you know, the the anti-Semitism problem. You know, if if you want to call that an image problem, is certainly an image. You know, that is certainly an image problem. It's more than an image problem. Um, uh, I think uh <coughs> we still have in the minds of uh, people in areas left, you know, in what we call the left behind areas, you know, that maybe voted for, uh, for Brexit that feel that no governments in recent years have done much to help them. I think we have an image problem there. I think the, the narrative about being uh, extremely relaxed about the filthy rich was not helpful, even though it also said as long it, as, they, as, pay as they pay their taxes, because actually they didn't bloody well pay their taxes. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I think, unfortunately, quite a lot of, La- of the Labour Party's core voters but Labour won election, felt elections But Labour won
1: elections on that. Uh, I think the well, question was more about the image problem of the Labour Party They won
3: The, 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 the Labour Party won elections, but over time, you know, core voters fell away. And, you know, between 1997 and uh, 2005, and of course 2010 as well, you yeah. know, and actually, Gordon Brown made a recovery at the end of his period, you know. Yeah. If we were able to, you know, if we had a measure of Labour support when Tony Blair left office, that may well have been the low point, um, and, uh, and 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 w- so that after winning, you like you well, okay, it's true. But what we lost were not, you know, under under Blair, were not the Daily Mail readers in the southeast of England. Yeah. It was core Labour voters. It was working class voters who felt let down by the Labour government, not entirely fairly uh, the uh, you know, across the country, the but in their, in some areas, quite legitimately. But of the
1: current Labour Party, we lost Mansfield to the Tories at the last election. Incredible. Why aren't Why are, why does it look like some areas, white working class areas, aren't turned on by Corbyn?
3: Well, I, I think that's actually uh, not entirely true. I think that Corbyn has some advantages with, with those people. I mean, people, uh, it, there isn't a problem, actually, for leave voter, Labour leave voters uh, with Corbyn. I think amongst, uh, you know, non labor Leave voters, I think it varies, you know, I mean, after all, you know, there are people who, you know, there are working class uh, people as well as others who, you know, who voted uh, BNP and then switched to UKIP and have now switched to the Tories, you know, it's not surprising that we're not winning those people. Um, but
1: the UKIP split. A lot of it went to Labour at the last. A day. lot of
3: the UKIP split. But, but I was. Talk- I started with the BNP, right? You know, actually, when when UKIP had its surge, all of the BNP vote went to the went to UKIP. That was a significant block that went in to make up. So the you're UKIP saying vote. Corbyn's got to capture
1: the BNP vote? No, so I'm
3: not saying. I'm <laughs> not saying. <laughs> you. That. Although, although I think you know people. You know, unfortunately, people can be seduced by the far right. You know, they're being seduced by the far right right across Europe, and, and you know, in Trump's America, mm-hmm. uh, and we have to win those people back. You know, we, we, you know, we don't, uh, you know, we've we've learnt the lessons of you know, we should have learnt the lessons of you know, the, of, the, uh, you know of, of the damage that the far right could do. We, uh, well we don't want to have to you know learn another round of lessons. From that. Um, and yet across Europe, the far right is doing well.
1: We're going to have time for one last question, so it will be, uh, to the gentleman down at the front, and it will be the best question we've had all night. No pressure. Brace yourselves for the best question you've ever heard.
3: Hi John, my name's Russell. Um, As a Jew, how do you feel about um, supporting Jeremy Corbyn, who is a supporter of Hamas, which wants to kill Jews? Uh, well, I'm afraid I don't agree with your premise. Um, it wasn't uh, the lighthearted hearted giggle fest, I hope it was. Jeremy Corbyn uh, is not actually a friend of Hamas. Uh, and uh, I, it, it, it is true that he used that word, but he is not actually. <laughs> he, Jeremy Corbyn is polite. And he believes in uh, yeah. in peacemaking, and in order to to make peace, you have to talk to the people who are currently making war. So, why wouldn't you speak to
1: and Israel? Yeah. They don't speak to Israel.
3: And well, he, uh, Jeremy Corbyn has been to Israel. Um Some don't. Some don't. speak to them. Not not recently. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, when did so you last
2: pick up the phone to Israel?
3: Uh, Well, I don't know when he last picked up the phone to Israel, (laughs) Um, but he he absolutely is engaged in peacemaking across the world. He's actually spent a lifetime doing that. You know, he has always met with uh, with people from all sides in all kinds of conflicts around the world, and that is what he was doing uh, when he, you know, as a backbencher, was meeting uh, with those kind of organisations. So, uh, I, I, you know, there Jeremy Corbyn is a long-standing supporter of a two-state solution to the Arab-Israeli conflict, and uh, he wants to achieve peace. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the efforts of people like Trump are not making that any easier.
1: But there, is, there, there, there has always been a, um, a problem with Corbyn's... Peacemaking is that there is a perception that he only ever talks to one side, whether it's Israel, whether it's Ireland, that he was happy to be photographed yeah. with Gerry with Adams and other people. Yeah. Yeah. When did he talk to the other side in Northern Ireland? It does feel that he takes a position that is, tends to be anti Western, anti imperialist, and he, he picks which side and he only talks to them.
3: Well, I, 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 th- I don't think that's true, and it's not true of, 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 of the administration. I, no, that isn't what I recognise. He didn't I think any he talks to
1: unionists, to did he?
3: I'm sh- he's never met an Al I think that's very unlikely. He's he's been a he's been a member of Parliament for oh, decades. But, but, but during the he's talks, talked right,
1: to. But of course, he will have bumped into people yeah. in corridors. But there is a there's a perception problem with that, isn't there? I mean, even if it's even if you say it's not true, how do you think he should counter that? I mean, do you think he should be more vocal about visibly meeting Israeli politicians or people on the other sides of the debates that he perhaps hasn't been photographed with?
3: Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know who he has and hasn't met with, but uh, I, you know, I, you know, because I know that he's in favour of, of, of two states in Israel-Palestine, you know, I'm sure that he would meet with people from, from all sides in order to achieve that. I have every confidence that Jeremy is a peacemaker.
1: Well, we could do it, we could do it here. Let's get Jeremy. Where others have failed...
2: Yeah.
1: We could try and solve the israel
2: palestine <laughs>
1: It be a heck of a Christmas special.
0: <laughs>
1: I, I,
3: I quite genuinely wish you luck. Uh,
1: <laughs> Thank you. It would be great to get... Do you think Jeremy would ever come in?
3: Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think would you're you going to you're gonna have to ask him. Oh, I have asked.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I he hasn't said yes yet. He hasn't said yes yet. Um, Well, hopefully you'd you'd recommend it, John. It's been an absolute thrill, haven't you, here? Um, Usually we only (laughs) have elected politicians, but we make the rare exception for people who are influential, who are fascinating, and I'm delighted that you've given us so much of your time and so much of your expertise uh, and so much of your honesty about your your politics and everything. It's been a genuine thrill, um, and the time has flown by. Ladies and gentlemen, please give me a huge thank you to John (laughs) Lansford. guest is Andrew Mitchell of Ploodgate fame, uh, and then we'll be back in, uh, I can't remember about September, October, it's David Blunkett, and a will of the guests for later in the year. Thank you all for coming, uh, it's been an absolute treat, and um, I shall see you next month, but one more time please, for John. Yeah. Well, there you go, John Landsman. What a brilliant guest he was! Uh, and there's so many things that you take from that interview, uh, not least the fact that he's clearly, clearly intellectually uh, a, a heavyweight. But some of the smaller things that you talk, you know, I, I could sense when I asked him about his beard. A few people in the room thought I was taking the mick a bit, but I, I genuinely noticed that his beard had changed. And of course, it revealed that fascinating and heartbreaking thing that it's in that it's in tribute to his to his mother. Um, Which was uh, really quite a special thing to find out about him. You can see why he's so influential on the left. You can see how he's been able to build momentum into the into the the force that it's become, and you can see how uh, Corbyn would absolutely rely on him really um, to pr- provide that intellectual uh, and political heft. So I, I'm so grateful for him to come in on for coming on. Um, the next live show features Andrew Mitchell. I believe it's sold out, but as always, do check on Twitter and check the other Palace website because sometimes on the day or the day before. Some what they call production holds are, are released, um, so so there's always a chance that you might be able to get a ticket late. And if I hadn't bored you already with self promotion, as I said before the show, my new Edinburgh show, Brexit Through the Gift Shop, is I can't I can't make my mind up whether I think it's a great title or not. Uh, Brexit Through the Gift Shop is available. Uh, the tickets are on sale now for August. The Edinburgh Festival uh, tickets through Ed Fringe Dot com. Do email the show with any reflections on, on what you heard from John or indeed any of the other episodes you listen to, at gmail.com. If you've had a brainwave about what we can call that weekly Twitter amnesty, then that would be uh, very helpful to get it, uh, for, for, for us to get it up and running. But as always, thank, just thank you for downloading it. Please do share it as widely as you can. Hit subscribe. Thank you to all of you who've left such wonderful iTunes reviews or indeed reviews on whatever podcast podcast platform you listen to this on and i will see you next week oh and of course this episode of the i almost forgot to say it it got me in trouble this episode of the political party was produced by daisy Knight.